upon you. Namaste and all that jazz. Welcome to Safe Abu Deals, the show with no name. I am joined with my co-anchor and executive producer and admin chief operations manager, Scotty from engineering with a stick to bash me over the head if I ever go out of line and, you know, this makes no sense. Anyway, Julia Felix from Free Space International. Give us a little bio about Free Space International, what you do, Julia. Free Space, well, I am Director of Project Management at Free Space. We are a grassroots organization with the goal of providing supportive services to artists and creatives. My personal passion is stand-up comedy, but I also work with uh, an animation project at the moment. Um, and we just kind of do whatever we need to do. Whatever has to be done to make it project work. Uh, has our guest arrived yet? No. So Jules, what's new with you since we last recorded? Um, not a whole lot. It was a long morning. It's been a long morning with work. Hey, man, I think the entire planet felt that it's been a long morning. You know, especially madness. The madness. The madness that's been going on. The insanity. The insanity at Capitol Hill. I shall now turn my phone into flight mode. Yes, I turned mine off, and I can't, for whatever reason... My phone does not come off vibrate, right? I have it off. It is set on off. There is no vibrate setting click. It will not stop vibrating. So I've stuck it between two pillows where the internet reception is good. For our listeners, this is not pornographic code of any type. Those. I mean, it <laughs> this might is, be. Maybe it's, it's just for one of them. You know who it, you are. You know who you are. Or for those people that are fans of planes, trains, and automobiles with the late John Candy and... Steve Martin, and when Steve Martin says, those aren't pillows, oh, we laughed and we laughed. Laughed and we laughed. I'm glad we're doing this. This is much needed. Well, you know, there's a great plaque at the comedy store. Like, if you ever go to the comedy store in London when all the madness stops, um, when you come into the entrance, there's like all these photographs of all these comedians, like on your right, on your left, in front, and the biggest picture, and this was when Robin Williams was still alive, by the way. This was like back in 2001, 2000, no, not 2001. This was about 2002, 2003 was when I saw this. You know, it was like a, the biggest picture out of all of the comedians as you're going down the stairs is Robin Williams. And it basically says, um, like he's autographed it. Like all of these photographs are autographed, but on his autograph, he's written clearly, thanks guys for giving me that night or like, you know, like thanking them for allowing him to perform. And underneath his photo is a plaque with written or engraved on it. Can't remember if it was engraved or painted and it just said laughter increases your life by five minutes. It's a nice sign to see as you're going down into the comedy store in Piccadilly, off Piccadilly Circus in uh, and near I think, Leicester Square. I think that in this section, yes, have like a random topic. Like today's random topic is your rant about the comedy store mural. It's wonderful. My my rant. Yeah, it's I a had a rant. rant. 
I had a rant. Oh, you had back? a mini monologue. That was a mini monologue. You're right. You had a mini monologue. It was lovely. It was a tiny monologue. It was. Well, what really gets on my nerves is the, like, every time I go onto Facebook and every time I see oh, all these. Lord. No, wait, hear me out. And I hear all, and I see why well, I hear. <laughs> I put my hands on the screen and I can hear the, I can hear, the, I hear the screams. I hear the suffering. I feel I like the that. the cries of the less fortunate. <laughs> the little stomach, you know, Quado, if you've seen Total Recall, Quaid, Quaid, <laughs> open your mind. <sighs> he basically comes out, like sometimes I'll come next to my laptop and I open my shirt, lift up my t-shirt, you know, and then Quaid comes, you know, Quado comes out and he starts going, Facebook, login, Facebook. Dave, I found something that, that, that I didn't get mad at on social media the other day. It was a miracle. Was it a pick? Was it, did it involve kittens? No, that was oh. the miracle. Those always make me happy. That's usually directly where I go. But I opened up Instagram and the meme in front of me was of the Trump supporters in DC. Sounds right. like it'd make me angry, right? It didn't. Right. The guy was holding a Q sent me sign and underneath was a picture of Q and it says, I most, I most certainly, certainly did not. not. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one. Have you seen? Have you seen the Lego kit one? No. I'll send that to you. It's it's it's, a, it's basically like Lego figures of Ca and of Capitol Hill, and they've got the Buffalo Horn dude as a Lego figure. <laughs> whenever I saw this, I saw this. They had all of them. It was like the Lego collection. Was it? Was it the Lego? No. It was the. It was the. What are the those 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 pop ones that are like the? They look like bobbleheads. I don't think they're bobbleheads, but they look like bobbleheads. Do you know what I'm talking about? You're gonna force me to send it to you, aren't you? Before we start re-recording and recording the match. I'm not gonna re-record. Why do you always say re-record? Everybody that I get into this with gets all upset. I'm now I'm gonna go on a rant. I'm gonna have a tiny monologue. Wait, I'm gonna give a lecture. No nope, lecture. All of you look at me like I'm crazy and like I'm an idiot and a lunatic for being like we can just edit it, but we can just edit it. Well. I'm sorry, when? <laughs> it makes no sense. This makes no oh, sense. This makes no sense. I honestly, it makes, no sense. It, it makes, makes me sense. so happy. Yes. Well, he's not late yet. He's not late yet, but he is, uh, <laughs> uh, he's got that Middle Eastern roots. So there is the possibility that he might be Middle Easternly fashionably late. Uh, it happens to the best of us. You know, but the one thing I always used to find funny is my mom. She always used to try and set me or like, try to raise me to the same level of standards and bar of standards as my, my late grandfather. Talking about like how he was always like punctual on time. And there's, take it so far, there's even a Middle Eastern proverb which goes, which has my name in it. Which is al waktu seifun. I'm probably going to screw this up in all the Arabic. This is going to be like, ah, he screwed up. But anyway, they all know the rest of the. It basically translates as uh, time is a sword. Either use it wisely or time will chop you down into many pieces. <laughs> you know, so Patrick, chalo kebab, chalo kebab, you're late. 
Break the social distancing. Come on, let's be criminals together. They're not gonna they're not gonna put Trump in prison. They're gonna not put us in jail for hugging. I mean exactly. I don't know. That's kind of the hypocrisy of it all. <laughs> well, you know, I you know, sorry to, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are joined with Patrick Monahan. Our guest is finally here. You know, just a little bit of Middle Eastern slash Persian timekeeping. We are literally at the, we're going on the Middle Eastern calendar, which is 1466 at the moment, isn't it? The Islamic calendar. 1441. 1441. So I'm not too, so actually, technically, I'm about 600 years early for this. This show was scheduled for 2021. Yeah, but also you've got in 200 years, you've got the Black Plague. So what would you rather have? COVID, Black Plague. <laughs> in 200 years time. That'd be great. Sorry. I mean, African-American Plague. Hold on a second. COVID, COVID hasn't entirely run its course yet. We yeah. might yet come to a point where we would rather be at the Black Plague. Exactly. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> exactly. We have penicillin now. <laughs> like. <laughs> so we know how that runs out. Patrick, please don't tell me you live near Knightsbridge. Knightsbridge? Uh, it's probably, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes away, 15 minutes. Why? What's happened? Well, fun fact. Yeah. Somewhere in Knightsbridge, I don't know if it's Hyde Park Corner, I don't know if it's near the embassies, there right. is a massive mass grave of plague, bubonic plague mm -hmm. victims. And if that ever comes unearthed yeah yeah not gonna be a pretty picture it'll kick off <laughs> i love that it'll kick off the black plague will kick off come on you immunosystems if in case our listeners don't know we are actually re-recording our episode because we had audio issues with our last one and uh patrick i just want to say out of the kindness of your heart I love you and thank you so much for being kind right. enough with your time. Uh, hopefully it won't feel like deja vu or deja vu or deja vu or any deja. I can't even remember what I was talking about this morning. Never mind when we first recorded this the first time. Oh my God. Perfect. This, pod <laughs> this podcast We're is all brought- on the same page. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast is brought to you by, you know, the Alzheimer's Foundation. If you or any of your loved ones are suffering dementia or signs of forgetfulness, or even starting to say, what year is this? It might, it might be cabin fever from the COVID or it might be yeah. Alzheimer's. Get yourself checked. Get yourself checked for Alzheimer's. Guys, That's help, I'm on my own. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so for those who don't know, our listeners who may or may not know, Patrick Monahan. He is of Irish-Iranian heritage. He won the TV competition of Take the Mic in 2001 and Show Me the Funny in 2011. He is named Britain's hardest working comedian in 2015, though more like in 2002. He's been a hard worker. Uh, regular at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for about 16 years, as well as a warm-up for TV audiences at the BBC, as well as ITV studios. He is known on the UK circuit as the nicest comedian in the comedy world. 
giving hugs and always going over his time limit. But I must say, Patrick, before we begin, Bob Slayer, I'm jealous. Yeah, Bob's lovely. What a, le- I mean, he, he's the reason why we did the uh, world record attempt. If it wasn't for Bobby Slayer, that record would still be at 24 hours and not 25 hours and 25 minutes. Because Bob, Bob came to, um, well, obviously I've done shows with Bob before. And he's always seen it. Because, you know, at the end of the show, I used to do this where I used to uh, hug people when they came out. Obviously, we can't do that now because of Corona and stuff. And also, and you were saying there about overrunning, I've had to change. So much has changed since I've grown up. Now it's like sticking to time. I always give a little bit extra if the audience are happy with that. But, you know, I don't do any, you know, like where, you know, back in the old days, you'd go on and they'd say, just, you know, do as long as you want. And then three days later, you're still on stage going, is this still on? Is this still on? Are people still You mean on? when you would see this from the back yeah. of the room, comedians exactly. waving their phones, old yeah. school phones. So you just see that little tiny yeah. screen from the Nokia. Oh. And now they've got all these fancy lights, haven't they? Look where they, uh, look at this, where you can do this. I mean, look at that. I mean, that's like, this is like some sort of future technology. Look at that, like, (laughs) or the Mayans or one of the, or the old Egyptians or Aztecs watching, listening to this podcast now, they were like, how does he bring the, how does he bring the sun and the moon together? Look at this. I mean, it's just amazing. And that's, that was literally what, like most of my career was like, you know, people flashing, you know, when I was starting off like that. And I'd also hugging, and I used to love it. At the end of the show, people would wait for a hug and I'd give them a hug. And uh, and Bob, Bob Slayer was, we were in Edinburgh and Bob came to the show. He said, listen, he said, uh, all this hugging. He said, you know, there's a record out there for 24 hours. And he said, we could beat that. And I said, yeah, I think we could. But when I looked at the record, it was couples. So it was either people who were engaged, people who were married or people who were dating. And they'd done a big promotion like this thing for Guinness World Records, where basically they would get three couples at each stages in their relationship. So like a couple who'd been together for like 50 year anniversary, a couple who'd been together, just married. And then a couple who were just dating, got them to, to hug each other for 24 hours in a fixed position. And then me and Bob Slayer, who have never been in any sexual relationship with each other, just decided to do it for 25 hours, 25 minutes. And it was brilliant. It was one of the best, one of the best days and a bit of my life. It was great fun. Was it true that someone gave him two Viagras? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, so before, the night before doing it, um, so obviously I don't drink, so I was just doing my shows, doing the usual. But Bob does like to drink. Anyone who's never met Bob, I mean, Bob likes a drink. He went out for a drink. Then they, and everyone knew that he was doing this 24-hour hugging challenge. So then they took him out for a curry. He went and had a curry. And then they put some Viagra pills in his drink. And it was hilarious. We were literally, so Bob was not only needing, you know, to constantly have a poo. And he had to be careful the way that he literally like, you know, every time it break wind, but he also have to be careful about, you know, about- Letting the, the thunder out, but keeping the snow and the rain in. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Puts a whole new spin to the whole song, Thunderstruck by ACDC. Oh yeah. And again, that's only another song that I'd ever, I learned so much going up to these festivals. You mentioned it there about Edinburgh Festival 16 times. I'd never even heard of, well, I'd heard of ACDC, but I'd, and I'd obviously heard of this song Thunderstruck, but I didn't even know what it was called. 
And then I remember when I used to host these late nights at, um, late and live at like one, two o'clock in the morning, 400 drunk Scottish people out of their heads. And then literally just hear the boom, 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 thunder. And it was like, what the hell is this? And it was like, and then that was like when I'd heard it properly. And I thought, oh my God, ACDC, they're crazy. Are you saying your musical education came from every Edinburgh Fringe Festival? Exactly. Before that, it was literally just Lionel Richie. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Elton John. <laughs> yeah, Elton John. But again, that was from Edinburgh as well. Do you remember the we put the, that in the show? Oh, I remember the George Michael, the George do the right Michael. thing. When you, yeah, wait. Do, when you used to do that gag of like, you know, I'll do it in your voice where you just go... I can't take Amadinidad seriously. He looks like George Michael. If you don't believe me, when you go home, he'll be on BBC News 24. Just lower the volume, put on Careless Whisper. I can't get the image out of my head. And that would be when you would turn, giving your back to the audience, and I would jump out and dressed up like Amadinidad. And you had Careless Whisper, you know, the part where it's going, we used to be so good together, that part. <laughs> that is Jules, that is generally true that and and i can't believe safe you remember that better than i did safe would come up the audience wouldn't even know that he was hiding behind the curtain of the Playing stage my PSP. <laughs> oh my god it was brilliant let's do that again we should do, do that you, again. Do, you, do you remember what happened when you had that guy in the audience that suddenly and i could hear you from backstage where i suddenly heard you stop your routine and suddenly you just said what wait what's going on where are you going all right and i was like what's going on and then suddenly this guy with no shirt just <laughs> comes backstage, sits on my Ray-Bans that have survived being run over by a, by a truck on the Egyptian motorway, but didn't yeah. survive this drunken ass hat sitting on them and breaking them. <laughs> a three-ton, four-ton truck drove over these. Yeah. The only thing that got damaged were like the templates of the sunglasses. But this guy, he came, he sat on the sunglasses and broke both lenses. No. With his like rock hard ass and his slightly <laughs> college beer belly. Yeah. How did we get rid of him? No, what happened was like he got, then he went out, like the mm -hmm. bouncers came and took him out, but like he'd forgotten like his jacket and his top or something. Oh, God, yeah. And they had it in a plastic bag and they gave it to us. And he wanted to get his jacket back. And I said, What am I going to do about my, my Ray Bans? You know, you broke my Ray Bans, man. And he was like, well, you know, and then I wanted to get like 70 quid off him for, you know, reimburse yeah, me for my designer Thanks. sunglasses that you broke with your rock hard ass. He came, he gave me the cash. Then I went down the high street, looked at the price of Ray-Bans and they were like about 300 quid, 400 oh. quid. Yeah. So I went around the corner and bought souvenir sunglasses for 10 quid. And we did the rest <laughs> of the the show carried on and did, and you know, your show got, I think, was it four stars in the Scotsman? Yeah, well, I think so. Yeah, God, that was, yeah. God, I mean, how many years ago was that? That, that was, was 2006, Do the Right Thing, because, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm not the guest of my podcast. You are the guest. So with that, yeah, but that, that was a great memory. We have to recreate that. Let's do that again in uh, in Edinburgh. You want to do a? Do you want to do like a modern day do the right thing? But instead, yeah. but who's? But would it, it wouldn't work? You know, we'd have to do some other singer with, with some other mm -hmm. 
with some other maybe we could do like Trump and I don't know. Yeah. Like, like or some bearded I don't know. AC DC do that uh, Thunderstrike. Thunderstrike. Just flies in. Like every time, you know, I I, I hear Thunderstruck, I just think of Thor. <laughs> and, and I could just come out. But you know, obviously, you know, Infinity Wars Thor or Endgame yeah. Thor when he oh, was God. like, you know, let his stomach go. Yeah. This is how bad my music is. I thought it was called Thunderstrike. I've just realized it's called Thunderstruck. Is that what it is? <laughs> but at least you know you're queen. At least you know you're Freddie Mercury and you're queen. Yeah, just about. Yeah. <laughs> just it's really important. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Freddie. <laughs> I forgot to say regarding the whole bio, was there anything else you'd like to declare? You should be used to that. Exactly. That is, do you know what? I think that's perfect. I mean, it's so nice when you hear stuff back. I mean, you mentioned some of the stuff there. And it's funny because as a comedian or, you know, performer, you're always, and it's like that old saying, you're only as good as your next gig. And I think that's what it's like for us as as comedians we're always you always think about what's the next one what's the next what what's my next show that i'm doing what's this next tour where am i going at this and you forget about all the tours you've done in the past you know it's like you say oh my god there's the graveyards behind of of all of all the shows are past and stuff and then luckily i mean we're in an age where you can you know you record a lot of these shows and you can watch them back and it's so funny when you think oh my god yeah i used to do that didn't i oh god yeah i did that and it's funny when and we mentioned you mentioned the warm up that I used to do that back in about the same decade as well in about two thousand six seven eight nine and even that was great fun where you'd go and you'd literally you know every TV show that anyone's ever watched if it with an audience they always have a warm up and it and it is amazing to watch because you know I remember like when you'd watch a TV growing up and you know like one of your relatives would say are these these people watching the show, are they mental? I mean, are they all mad? <laughs> Why is everyone cheering? Ah, why are they all crying? Mean, where have they found these people from? And I didn't realise that until I was older. And when I started doing warm-up, and I thought, well, actually, these people are just coming in. They are, I mean, half of them are semi-normal, but most of them are bonkers. To <laughs> <laughs> five hours. And it was, uh, yeah, and it was, but then you forget about how good fun it was. I mean, it was hard work, but it was good fun. But I always say, you know, I'd recommend to any comic, any comedian, anyone who, who wants to, you know, get better at doing comedy, go and do warm-up for six months. I did it for like six years, which is bonkers, but, you know, but do it for six months is enough. And, it's, and it is fantastic because you, you go in there and it's not like, you know, we do the Edinburgh shows where it's like you can do a little bit of improvising, you can mess around the first five or ten minutes in, a, in any show. All right, who's in tonight? What's this? Look at you guys. Where are you? From? Oh, what, you're Dutch? Oh, you've come in. And, you know, you can have a mess around. Whereas with warm-up, it's like there's like 450 people in there and they've come just to see a, a sitcom or a TV show or a game, something being recorded. Mm. And suddenly you're all running around and there's like TV cameras, there's a crew, 20-odd people behind you and all that. And you can have some of the best nights ever. You can have some of the, you can have some tough nights, but you can have some of the best nights ever. I remember doing stuff at the warm-ups where you mess around doing things. And then years later, like just how you mentioned now about, you know, doing Edinburgh and like then things happened to you there backstage and to us at the show. With the warm-up, I had people come up to me years later and they've gone, oh God, I remember you did the warm-up for Paul O'Grady. And I said, yeah, yeah, what was that? And they, were, and they go, do you remember? And you did this funny thing about a giraffe. Do you remember the giraffe story that came out? And I went, 
a what? What a giraffe? I talk about a giraffe, do that. And then they start telling you about a story about some routine that I must have just made up about giraffes or something because he'd mentioned something like that. And it was and it was great because it sort of like riffed into like a six-minute routine. And you just think only in, you know, in doing TV warm-up can you can you do stuff like that, you know. Whereas normally in a in a comedy club anywhere around the world, you know, you can't just suddenly go on and then start messing around about something. You can mess about, but you know what I mean, where they just, you've got 20 minutes, half an hour, or sometimes you're doing a tour show, they've got your hour, they want to see the polished thing. Whereas yeah. I think with warm up, I think that's where it, it, it teaches you to have that bit of fun. Take that risk, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, you know, it's, it is a double-edged sword because it is like your, not your life is on the line, but you know, with comedy, we always say, you know, people always go, oh, you don't want to die, as if your life is on the line. I mean, what's the worst that's going to You go into a comedy club and, you know, you just, they didn't they didn't get you they didn't like your stuff fair enough you know you can't you know that's that's their opinion but but we always go oh my god we died that was our life on the line but with warm-up it's quite it's great because you are you're getting paid and you get paid a lot lot more than just doing comedy but you get paid a lot because you have to do so much longer but it's not like a case of you know they're never going to judge you like going oh that didn't get a big enough laugh why don't you get they're just like they're just relieved that you know you can go with it and you're going with the flow and i think that is um i think that's one of the great things about it i think i know where the term died on stage came from i think it come from the royal times when a jester used to go and entertain the king did yeah. a bad job off with his head he did not make me laugh you know I'm, i think oh. i don't know oh but julia See? please <laughs> well I mean, every, every, every artist and every creative goes through that evolution of how their comedy changes. And as, as somebody who's a consumer of comedy, right? Like I'm not a stand-up comedian. I'm a consumer of comedy, 100%. I might have a bit of a problem. But <laughs> one of my favorite things is, is watching. So a lot of comedians that I've found, yourself included, I have found when they're at They've, they've reached a certain stage, right? They've, they've been around for a while, but I'm coming in like 10 years into someone's career, right? I'm discovering someone, which is great because it's bingeable, right? I can sit and binge like the entire genesis of this creator, character that this person has created, right? And it's a joy to watch, but you seem to have this never ending stream of creativity. And do you have any advice for like creatives like myself, comedians and artists alike? like on overcoming creatives block and working through that when it's, when you yeah. hit that wall? Well, the first thing I'd say, Julie, I know you were saying like, you know, you consume comedy and you like all that. And it's definitely not a problem. I think that is, that's probably one of the best things to have. I mean, can you imagine, you know, uh, people consume Colombian white powder and that's probably more addictive. Whereas comedy, at least you, we're consuming good things. You know, it's like spending you your mean, life. You mean cocaine? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot worse things that I have had obsessive addictions to. This is yeah. a good one. <laughs> exactly. Nobody gets hurt, and all that happens is you just laugh, and that's it. You have a great time, and it is. It's one of them, and it, it's it's that thing I caught myself saying loads of times when. You know, when people, friends, family, whoever, they always say to you, say, how can you, how could you still be reading this about comedy? Why are you still writing this? How can you be still getting up doing this? Why are you watching this late at night? Why are you doing this? And I'm still, you know, they, they say switch off. You don't have to work. And I say, but if you do something you enjoy, then it's not work, is it? You know, and it's that old cliche. It's that they a always... lifestyle. Yeah. Comedy, exactly. 
comedy consumption became a lifestyle yeah. for me. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's a good lifestyle. It's like, you know, at the same time, it's making you happy, but also you're, you know, you're doing something with it. It's getting your life long. Whereas, you know, there's people who are, you know, blessed them. They have to, they'll be going and, you know, they'll be doing admin or they'll be going to do something else to try and, you know, make some sort of fun or to do something. But they have to go and make a sacrifice in order to get a payoff so they can go pay for that. Whereas with comedy, you know, it's all just win-win because it's like, you know, you can never, when you're watching something or seeing something, the end result is it's just, you know, a theatre or arena full of people laughing. And even if you don't like it, it's still, you're going to still feel the good vibes of it. And you think, yeah, you know what? Yeah, it wasn't free, but that was brilliant. I, I admire what they did and all that sort of thing. And I think in terms of this, for, for any new people, you know, when you said about creativity, how do you, how do you keep producing? And it is dead simple. It is like literally, it's like, how does, how does like a, a, a marathon runner or a triathlon, how do they keep, how do they keep doing 16 marathons a year? How do they keep doing it? And the simple thing is they just keep putting one foot after the other and just keep keep running, keep training. And I think for, for new people, especially in, into comedy and stuff, yeah, it's going to seem hard at first, but it will get easier. It never gets dead easy, but it does get a lot easier. And I think creativity, the thing is when, when, I, when you first start, and this is the problem that a lot of people have, is when you first start, same as what we had was, that you're constantly on a showcase. You constantly have to prove yourself. And you've only got five minutes. You can't turn up. You, you know, it's not like, uh, you're not like Dave Chappelle where you can turn up to, or, or Jerry Seinfeld who could just turn up to a comedy club and go, I've got some notes scribbled on a piece of paper. They're like, listen, you can have 40 minutes if you want. Just go, you can just talk. We're not, we don't give a monkeys. You can't do that as a new act. They, they literally go, you've got three minutes, you've got five minutes. This better be your best stuff. Go on there and prove. So I think it is hard when you first start because then people always, creativity is quite hard because they're thinking, you know, this is a nice idea, but is it, it's not strong enough. I need, I need to make this tighter. I need to make it tighter. And over time, what will happen is you will then uh, take more risks. You'll take more chances. Obviously, people don't do that so much early on because they're being constantly judged. You're being, you're, you're being on a showcase. But I think now the game has changed massively. I mean, look at it, new comics now coming on uh, to perform or do comedy, don't have to do what we used to do, you know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, even people before me, 30, 40 years ago, would have to literally, if they wanted to do comedy, they would literally have to go to a physical venue, like a comedy, they'd have to go to somewhere where there's an actual audience. Whereas now, someone starting tomorrow could play to more people in their first week of comedy by just going online, creating some content, putting it out there, than you would, go into a hundred open spots. I mean, you, I remember when I first did gigs, same as Safe has done is when we've turned up to, to gigs where there's there's more comics than there is audience members. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, and you've seen it, it's like, I remember one of my first gigs and I thought, oh wow, this looks busy. And there was like 20 people in the room. And I thought, oh God, this is quite a lot. Cause I'd never done comedy before. And then I didn't realize 18 of them were, were all brand new acts. One of them was the compare and the other one was the bar staff. So there was literally, it was like literally, you know, it's like, and, I, and, I, and so it was literally just, you were performing to, and it was quite a tough gig because you're performing to 18 people who were all so nervous because they're sat there thinking about what their act is. So imagine doing that, you know, six, seven times a week, doing that for a hundred times, just trying to get your act together. Whereas now 
mm. a young, uh, a new comic can come out, she or he can just write a five minute act and go, do you know what? I can just put it on the internet, I can practice, put it on the, and then I can put it out, you know, potentially I could put it out to like a million people, you know what I mean? Maybe only a hundred will watch it, but that's a hundred more people than you would have got at your first 20 open mic gigs, you know what I mean? So it's, so it is, it is, you've got, you know, you've got the positive that you can get out to an audience better, but you have got the negative, which just happens with any, anyone or any career where it's just taking risks. If I could, if I could sum it all up in a, in, in my advice in three words would be, you know, write risks and edit. That's all you got to do. Just keep writing, keep taking some risks and just keep editing. And that's, and that would, you know, hopefully that would be it. I once came to an open mic night run by a comedian and there was like eight of us comedians upstairs mm -hmm. and the woman running the comedy night, she started setting up the chairs and then I started setting up the chairs and one of the acts turned around and said to me, that's optimistic. <laughs> and then it turned out to be literally like that. It was like me, uh, the hostess, eight comedians and one of the comedians friend and it literally felt like we were all just getting up in front of each other taking our turns to try our jokes and it was just like a and the weird, yeah, yeah. It, it's it literally felt like a comedy workshop more than an open mic night but then you know at least it's something you know performing in front of strangers who've never ever seen you perform can be exactly. yeah you've got and what you've got to do is and again, you've got to be positive, take the positive out of everything. And in a situation like that, um, you never, take the positive is actually just, it's it's just a good place to practice what you're saying. It's a good place to practice public speaking in front of other people. It's a good place to get comfortable standing on a stage. But do not take, you can't take the reactions from it because you're never going to get, you're never going to get the reactions that any of them jokes deserve. You know, I've seen, oh my God, I, I, and you still see it now, you know, some of the best material, some of the best jokes, some of the best crafted stuff is always from some of the newest people, you know, it's, and, but, but they won't progress or they, or that material won't get as much exposure as someone more polished because they just can't deliver it. And, it, mm. and it's such a shame because, I mean, you look at like Billy Conley, he was amazing. I mean, Billy Conley, Classics, the same as Robin Williams. People would always say that classic thing and Richard Pryor, they could walk on stage and read a telephone book. And you know, they could just talk about anything, what they'd done this afternoon and it'd be hilarious. But the thing is what they don't see, it's like the tip of the iceberg. They don't see the 30, 40, 50, 60 years of their craft that when they first started, they weren't just walking on stage talking about, oh, this happened to me this afternoon. They were walking on stage with some of the best five minutes of material you've ever seen, 10 minutes, you know, it was so sharp, it was so tight. And, and that's why they can get to that level where they could, they, you put them on a bill with nine brand new comics who've only been going, you know, six months, but they've got amazing five minutes. And yeah. you won't remember any of them. You'll just remember, uh, you know, you'll remember some a Richard Pryor S type act just come on and just freestyle it for 10 minutes and blow everyone away. And, and that's the thing where, you know, the point that I'm saying is still for, for like young comics, anyone comes in, your material is going to be great. You keep working on that. And then it's your, your, your stagecraft. But, and I think that, you know, like we said, it, you know, a lot of it now has changed though. I mean, look at what Corona's done. 
you know, nobody's been doing stage work for a year and a half unless you're, you know, unless you're in an NHS visor or you're a bat in a cave, or, you know, there's nowhere or, or a clapper. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's just nothing there. What did you do for COVID? I clapped, but I also went outside without a mask. <laughs> did you? Yeah. Have you, do you do that in America and Egypt? Did you do the clap? For <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> America and Egypt, like, come on, NHS, come on. It's come on, NHS, yalla, NHS, yalla. Uh, no, but I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you what they did do. At the beginning, at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this big fuss about the equipment, right? Because the big issue is like hospitals don't have the equipment they needed, right? We had the equipment we needed, we could manage. And instead of okaying a budget for the, to give to hospitals, right? Trump ordered the Flyboys, which are like the uh, the uh, like the the guys that do like the fancy air shows in like the yeah. Air Force like jets, exactly. and they have like the colored shit that shoots out the ass of the jet, right? Yeah, yeah. They Smoke. they <laughs> yeah, it was it sounded funnier <laughs> the way I said it. <laughs> You mean smoke, colored smoke? Yeah. Carry on. No, yeah. Joe, like, colored smoke. <laughs> Just they paint the sky with shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, planes, the planes just got tired, really. <laughs> they were a little too literal. Um, no, they. Um, he paid. So, for reference, it is approximately, if not a little bit more than, four hundred thousand dollars per plane per pilot, right? Mm. For yes. them to do this. And they ordered the the crew of them, which is like four or six or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I don't watch TV here. <laughs> and they ordered a flyover of that. Because it's absurd. I'm like, if I want this level of absurdity, I'll look at my own life. I don't need yeah. to watch it on reality TV. Like, believe me, there's enough in my life. <laughs> Previously on America. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. And and they ordered this and it totaled something like like 1.6 to almost 2 million dollars. Like they could have they could have taken care of like the entirety of like like multiple states hospitals, right? Yeah, yeah. They could have spread it out and taken care of it. They didn't. They told them to fucking paint the sky. Like <laughs> They could have fed children. No, so so no. Yeah. We don't walk outside our door and fucking clap. We go hard, okay? It's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. It's absurd. They're Mr. like, crap, no, we'll paint the sky. Are you crazy? Yeah. I can't Trump's still not there. How is Trump not still in power after all these so, events? No, he got <laughs> impeached for the second time today. Yeah, I know. Man. And I'm just so happy. They did it. So the Senate, the Senate has to like, like ratify it or whatever the fuck. I don't know, whatever the right word is for it. Right. The Senate has to give it their stamp so that it's official. But yeah. the House impeached him for a second time, which is great because that means none of the benefits that he gets after he leaves office are in place and the laws surrounding what they can go after him for are different. He now yeah. can't claim presidential authority or something like that. That's a very- You mean immunity. But, uh, he, can't, he can't claim immunity. God, yeah, gonna, it's not immunity is also not the right word, but it's that concept. Uh, Mr. President, people are starving in the United States as of COVID-19. You know, what we need to do is we just need to have some airplanes with colorful cholera 
cover the skies across the state. You know capital. what the horrible thing is? It worked. It fucking worked. These dumb shits here yeah. fell for it, and they were like, "What? Like it's it's so stupid." I told people. Yeah. I told people where I live down the street, they were assless chaps and a couple of cowboy hats away from shooting each other in the streets. It was oh. insanity. People were firing their guns in the air around 4th of July. Right. Here. Yeah, yeah. Silly. I, it's like me finding out disturbingly on New Year's Eve how many of my neighbors actually own firearms <laughs> from all the New Year's gunfire. But. Yeah. Uh, in regards to Egypt and Corona, I think we're having our third possible lockdown, but it, it doesn't matter because like the thing is that I see a lot of, uh, and I'm, I apologize any Egyptian listeners that take offense at this, but it's true because the rest of the world are all doing lockdowns. I see British people doing lockdown. I see Scottish people doing lockdown, the U.S., I mean, there are people around the world that are observing a lockdown and social distancing and so on and so forth. And I know of people that are trying to do what their European friends are doing or those Egyptians that have European citizenship or outside of Egypt citizenship like me. I got a British passport, so I think like a Brit. If my fellow Brits are in tier three, tier four, whatever, I'm like, yeah, I could do the same. I can apply the same. But I'll see a lot of my friends posting on social media, like no concept of social distancing, no one with a mask. I just saw someone posting a picture of like him and like six other people all on saxophones, having like a saxophone jamming session. Crazy. It, 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 and But I get, I get the whole, there's like, obviously there's two types of mentality right now in 2021. There are those that believe, yes, there is COVID. Yes, there is a disease. Yes, there is a situation we need to deal with. And then there are those that are completely the opposite that will, and it's becoming worse than the Catholic Protestant divide. It's worse than the Palestinian Israeli divide. It's worse than any divide. It's worse than people saying like, which house in Game of Thrones do you support? Like yeah. all of those divisions, football divisions, football teams, yeah. everything, you know, all of that is nothing yeah. compared to on social media, the whole back and forth of like masks, yeah. no mask, wash your hands, don't wash your hands, shit yeah. in your hands, don't shit in your hands. It's like, it's yeah. all, it's all gone feet tongue. Yeah, are we going to have the vaccine, close everything down? What is, is there restrictions in Egypt then or not? Well, they're, no, the government are trying to do their best. This is the thing. Like, Egyptian yeah, government are trying to do their best. The Egyptian uh -huh. people, there are those, there are two types. There are those that are doing their best, doing at home, working online, social distancing, washing their groceries when they get back from grocery shopping, like washing the packaging of groceries, yeah. leaving their shoes at, like doing what their Italian or yeah. European counterparts are doing. And, yeah. and then you've got those people that are just sort of like, you know, what Corona? <laughs> you know, what COVID? Because we actually have a chocolate here called Corona. You know, it's like the Egyptian equivalent of Cadbury's and Egyptian equivalent of Hershey's is called Corona. So... Except it has a creepy ginger Ed Cullen on the, Edward Cullen on the front of it. Yeah, you, you just got to Google images if, if this was a Twitch It's really screen. creepy. I'll... I'll send you a picture of it, Patrick. Uh, Julia, we, if I go into another rant, we will destroy the, the flow of this podcast. I mean, we're off. We're off. 
we're, we're off. <laughs> there's, there's no way, there's no way for me to gracefully segue into the next talking point. <laughs> it is completely off base. We thought we were going to the new world. It seems we are now in the unknown waters. <laughs> <laughs> the image in my head just now was of the creepy ferret type guy with the eye patch in the Ice Age movie, Ice Age Dawn of the Dinosaurs. Maybe I'm the only person that saw it, but it was amazing. And well, there's Patrick a probably saw it. Well, Ice Age, the, the movie, I remember, is the first one. Yeah, so there's a lot of them, and I enjoyed it a little too much. <laughs> well, good. I liked it. Love it. Love it. I, I I love those kind of movies though. Like I still I still love like animated movies and kids movies and all of that. I don't think I'll ever grow out of it. You know what, Julie? I don't know if you've seen Wally. Have you seen Up and all? You know, my current my current favorite is Inside Out. Okay, yeah. Have you watched Inside Out? I don't think, ah, oh, no. if you haven't, do it. Oh, if you haven't, do it. You must have seen Patrick. You must have seen Monsters Inc. Yeah, I've seen, uh, yeah, I think I've seen Monsters Inc., yeah. And have you seen the university one? No. What's the university one? It's, uh, well, I don't know, but there's this beautiful joke in it where one of the fraternity brothers tells another fraternity brother. He just goes, just think of me as a brother that's married your mother. It was like the darkest, darkest joke you could put out there. But I'm sure there are people in certain parts of America Beautiful going, I don't get movie. the joke. <laughs> Kids will just be laughing. Kids will be like, oh, that's funny. Well, and that's, uh, that's my new favorite thing, though, is re-watching them as an adult, right? Like with adult perspective and like being like, I remember this very differently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Um, should be more films like that. Much more. Oh. <laughs> Think of me as a brother that marries your mother. <laughs> Try and pass that off at a dinner conversation. Yes, we, we were we were brothers, and then I married his mother. Oh, <laughs> it's brilliant, beautiful. You can't write lines like that every day. <laughs> what's your What's your technique for writing, though? Like, what would you say is your your go-to inspiration for creating? So, uh, basically, I would, I, I'd try and get a couple of things on the go at the same time, because that way, when you're working on one project, if you do I need a break from it, whatever, then you can move on to another one, do a bit, and then move it back. And, yeah, and I also have to sort of have, like, a rough, I need some sort of arc so I can work to it. So, for instance, I'm writing this new for my new stand-up tour show. Um, with a stand-up show, you don't really, you don't really need a beginning, middle and end, but you need something that's gonna, so you need like some routines to start, it needs to be something that's gonna be grabbing, standing. I try and avoid anything that's too themed. You know, if it's like, oh, this is a show all about this, cause it's, you know, it's a great, it might be a great idea and it's, to, it's great for five minutes to sell it, but it's not, it's for an hour, you want a bit of variety. You don't want just the same structure. And then, yeah, and then if I'm writing other bits and pieces, if it's stuff um, like uh, stories, whatever, writing um, 
you know, books or any, any different ideas, bits and pieces, then what I'll do is I'll have more of a structure and I'll put the scenes. And if I can't write everything out, I'll just say, right, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this, this, this. And then, and I've got literally scraps of paper everywhere piled up. So I'll grab some stuff. And then when I go, right, okay, I've got a few hours now, let's go. And then just get into it. So in the, in the, like in the creative work that you're doing and you're working on now, um, like there's, there's a lot of like funny people in your field who venture into like serious acting and roles outside of comedy. Do you think that's something you'd ever aspire to do? Or do you think you strictly, strictly comedy is where you land? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, it's funny because for other comics, I think for other people, it's it's funny when people always ask and say, would you do this as a comic? Would you do it? And I always think people think that all comics are the same. And I think now everyone is so different. You couldn't, you couldn't find two comics who are so alike. I mean, they're the most opposite people in real life. And I think some people, you know, will do comedy because they are really good at acting. They're really good at doing this sort of thing. I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm one of these people that, you know, I just love doing the comedy because it's a chance to, you know, you can get your stuff. You've got a lot to say. You want to get stuff out. And also you like entertaining. Uh, you, you like meeting people. I like doing comedy. And, and I always like to keep it honest and truthful. And I think that's one of the things with comedy. So I think for me, when, you know, I love it. I admire it when I see, see someone who's like really funny and hilarious and they're quite slapstick or they're quite jovial. And then suddenly they'll go and do like this amazing film or piece of theatre where there's no humour in it, it's just very dark and then you see them breaking down and crying and I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing I mean, how do they do that? What is going on? Is that the same person? Have they been possessed? Have they got some sort of addiction? So how do they get to that? And then, whereas for me, I couldn't do it there's no, I mean, like, I'd love to be able to do it, but you know, when someone would go, right, I want you to um, I want you to play this person here that's um, uh, everyone in your family or everyone you know is going to have cancer and they're all going to die. And then I want you to slowly break down each time that happens. I'm going, okay, so where's the joke? Where's the payoff here? Where, where yeah. I da, da, da. You know, so it's like, I'm always looking. It's, and it's not a great thing, but it is what I like. I always like, okay, but where's the joke? I need a joke. And it's, yeah. And I think that's why I always get scared when people say serious acting. But like, but like, let's say, for example, like, you know, Jim Carrey, he's done different variant levels of Sirius. Uh, so like he did uh, 23 or number 23, yeah. which was like a psychological thriller slash horror. But then the cable guy, which had undertones of seriousness, the stalker, yeah. but it also had like, you know, Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like yeah. bringing out some. So like, I don't know. I mean, do you think that oh. as long as there was some kind of like humor option, that you would sort of, you know, do that? Yeah, of course, because I think, I think it's because I'm so used to, you know, literally for the last 15, 20 years of my life, I've all, every project I've done is there's always been, there has to be a, a laughter, a payoff. Whereas with Jim Carrey, classic example, same as him, same as Lee Evans, these people that are so funny, you've seen them do so many funny things, but then you've seen them go and do stuff where, their payoff isn't laughter. Their payoff is like something dark and serious. And because I've never really ventured down that, I've never really, you know, I've not, probably not scared of it, but you know, where you just think I'm a bit like, ooh, was that, how is that going to end? I mean, how would, you know, I always think if I did something like that, wouldn't it just look, people would be like going, 
oh, but hang on, where, okay, is there a, there's going to be a reveal here, there's going to be a twist, there's going to be something, and if there isn't a twist, then I feel like, oh, God, I've let people down. I've just left them crying, whereas normally they want to be left, you know, something positive and happy. And I think as you get, maybe as you get older, maybe as you get more experienced, I think you could go and do something like that. But in terms of, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, it's never. I, I love, I love reading things, watching things like that. I might, you know, I've written things that might be a little bit dark and stuff like that. But, but in terms of performing it on a stage, you know, it's always like, oof. I always think, I always think, you know, I, I feel like the guy, like an ice cream vendor, where I feel like, you know, I'm playing the music and kids are running to the ice cream uh, van. And then they're expecting to get an ice cream. And then imagine me just suddenly turning around and just giving them slabs of dead lambs. And dead <laughs> you know, that and that, that's probably what I feel like if I did something serious. Because people are like, what the hell? We were, tuned, we were tuned in to watch an hour and a half. We thought this would be an uplifting film. And it, it turns out... You know, it's, it's, it's funny <laughs> that you say that because... One of my favorite things about comedy is when a comedian takes that and flips that script, right? When they when they go very serious, right? Yeah, For yeah. a very short period. What, what entertains me more than anything, and I've seen it done a few times very well, is where that, that flip the script to that something dark and then no relief, yeah, no yeah. tension relief. I, 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 I don't know why, but I love it. Like, I fucking love it. Like, I am in. I am in for the, like, the, I, you came for comedy? No, you're getting a life reevaluation. Surprise. Like, I'm 100% there for that. So when there's no warning, when someone just does yeah. it. Love it. Yeah, I love, I love that. I think that's great when they do that. It's so raw. No matter how much it's polished, it's so yeah. raw that I'm, I can't yeah. get enough of it. And that's, but that's in a comedy show. And that's what I love. I love that because at least, you know, I've seen loads of shows that way. It starts off, you're having a great laugh, great laugh. And then suddenly they pull the rug and they go, anyway, uh, my, you know, such and such, my partner, whoever, they died. And everyone's like, what the fuck? But then they carry on and then they twist it again. And then at the end, then you're laughing again. And then they show you, yeah, but you know, life goes on. It's like your podcast. You did this uh, Comedian Without Borders with the former Bollywood dancer, now turned Ishan comedian. Yeah, Ishan Akbar, yeah. Ishak Akbar? Yeah, Ishan Akbar, yeah, yeah. Ishan Akbar. Because, like, he did that joke about teabagging his mother at the yeah. funeral. Like, his mother died, and it went down the dark path. And, um, I mean, like, for me, something... I've had, like, you know, potential, like, interesting dark moments, even at a dark moment, such as death like losing a family member, not with my sister. <laughs> there was no, there was nothing like, I didn't experience that. I was a teenager, you know, I didn't experience anything at that time. That'd be like, you know, some weird little guy going, we can use this as material in later years, you know? But like with dad and with mom, I felt like, yeah, there was like, you know, the day of dad dying, there was like comedic yeah. moments that, you know, when worked into an hour special could work and with mom as well. But it's all about like that comedy as a sort of like weapon, almost. Mm. Yeah, of course. I thought you were gonna say your brother said I'm gonna you're like a brother. I'm gonna marry your mother. I thought that would be a nice little callback for you. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's gone now, so I'm going to be your new dad. What? <laughs> See, that's 
and you've taken a story, like you've taken a real life event where you've lost, you know, you, you, your mother's passed away and then, yeah, and you can still joke about it. And see, I think things like that are great because that is the whole point of comedy. We've got to keep pushing boundaries, but also we've got to keep it real. You know, we, you know we're not going to be the first person or the only person in that audience who's lost a family member yeah. or a relative. And loads of people will, and the people in the audience who have will relate to that. And the people in the audience who have got relatives can relate to it as well, going, oh my God, you know, that is tragic if I lose one like that. But then, but then they love the release that you've done by, you know, making a joke about it. You know, like you said, like Ishanti. Well, it's, it's a beautiful defense mechanism that we all develop, isn't it? Those of us that really embrace comedy. Because you said something, you said something in an article that got me thinking. And, and you said, I tried to point out to them that I couldn't spend every minute of the day fighting, speaking about, you know, your experience growing up and how humor came to play a role in, in, you know, that time period of your life. And that, that internalization of that kind of thought process was a huge moment for me in shift of perspective and identity. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to find out how, how that humor has manifested through the different stages of your life and how the last year with the pandemic specifically has either shifted or affirmed your concept of identity on that. Yeah, I think I think with it's so funny because identity is, you know, it's one of the uh, one of the most complicated things that we have, you know, in the world. You know, it's it's so funny because people. I mean, it should be really simple. I mean, we're all. It should literally just be with people, you know, we're human beings. That's everyone just goes into that bracket. Then we've got animals, we've got mammals, you know, whatever. Bah, bah, bah. And I think with identity, people always seem to think, yeah, it's quite easy, isn't it? This sort of, you know, this acceptance belonging. And I think that's only because, you know, maybe 51%. I mean, it used to be probably 80, 90% of the population, but I would say it's probably more 50, 60% of the population are in uh, 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 that comfortable with their identity. You know, it's or they are. I've got an acceptance, and I think for me, one of the the mechanisms. I think one of the reasons why we all do comedy, or we're all interested, in it, is because comedians or people from that sort of background have always struggled to fit in or struggled to have an identity. So they're using comedy mm. as a way to either get in or as a way to defuse the situation that they're not. You know, they're not a local, and I think you know, and that's. And that is one, and you still see that today. I mean, you can send, you can send a, you can send an army into, you know, any battlefield or any country to invade it, but you'll never win the people over. But you can send a comic from, you know, you can send, a, you can send, you know, a, a funny Arab comedian to Israel, they'll love him. They can send a funny Jewish comedian to Palestine or to, and they'll love him. You know, like Jerry Seinfeld, you know, whoever, you know. So it's comedy is one of the things that breaks down the borders. And what was interesting, though, for me, growing up, you know, identity, even though we couldn't escape it because, you know, we, we'd we left um, Iran, the country where I was born. My mum, my mum's uh, family were all mixed. They're all Arabs and Persians. So she didn't really, you know, where she grew up and the, the town that we lived in got bombed during the Iran-Iraq war. So she was never really, you know, the family were never really, locals in that place because they were sort of traveling around anyway they were from the middle east and then we went to england the north of england and and it was quite funny because when when we came to the uk i just sort of think oh i'll just take on the local identity 
even though the locals wouldn't let you take, not all the locals, I mean, majority of people were lovely, you know, but you grow up in that sort of society where uh, children, younger people are just like, they don't accept you as a local. They want, they see you as a foreigner or the outcast. So you would literally, it would be a case of, you know, they would fight you, they'd chase you, whatever they'd want to, and you know, there was, and the reason I said that was that, you know, it did get to a point where you would, you'd just be punched, you know, you'd be in fights. You'd suddenly be in a fight with someone. And and the only reason is because you're, you haven't got six uh, generations of relatives from that small town. You know what I mean? It's like, we didn't have any relatives from the town. You were, of course, we were foreigners, but I, I never used to talk about that. I used to keep that hidden, but, they knew that obviously you, you weren't a local. So you would, you would end up being, and you would end up being situations where you'd have to fight. You'd be literally fighting for no reason other than we're just fighting just because, you know, I was born in a different country and my family were from a different country to yours. And then it, it got to a point as I got older in my teenage years, and it was a point where I just thought, you know what, I can't just keep, I can't keep running away from four lads. I can't keep fighting four lads. I can't keep doing this. So instead of doing all this running away from them or fighting them, what I'm going to do is, you know, I'm just going to take on what they say mm. and then use comedy to break down that board. And actually that worked a hundred times better than trying to fight back, doing it like that. And then you would win people over just mm. by using humour. But the ironic thing is, and particularly what's happened this year and even the last couple of years, is that when I first started doing comedy, once I left the areas where I grew up in the North and stuff, which are lovely areas, but once I started going to like big cities, I went to London, Liverpool, cities where nobody gave a monkey's way from, because everyone's, it's literally just, London's just like an airport, that they've literally just left <laughs> and, and there'll be like, there'll be 72 different languages in the same queue at the coffee shop. And it's brilliant, nobody gives a monkey's. Whereas I remember when we grew up, if your mum or a relative or anyone speaking to you going, they'd be chanting in Farsi or Arabic, uh, like this, and they'd be chanting away. You'd have to be whispering, going, shh, you're trying to get us killed. Keep your voice down. Jesus Christ. You, know I mean? <laughs> you start talking in a foreign accent, you know, people are, are swarming around. So you just think, you know, and I, and, and it was funny because particularly doing stand-up, I always, I never really, uh, and I'd say maybe in the last year, maybe in the last two years, a push, maybe yeah. three years, I've actually gone beneath the surface of it. Whereas mm. the first 15 years of my comedy career, 10 years, I would do jokes about Irish arrangements, but I wouldn't talk about me. I wouldn't say, I'd say, this is what, you know, Irish people do this, don't they? They're like dancing, they like drinking. Iranian people, they're like this, don't they? But I would never really talk about me. I'd never talk about. God, well, this is actually what my family did this one. Because I, I was not embarrassed about it, but I was terrified about it. I was thinking, I don't want to let, I don't want people, you know, I, I used to hide this. I don't want to be like then bringing this out. And then actually I realised in the, in the last couple of years, and particularly during lockdown now, that actually people are more interested in knowing what you, what, what actually is about you. They go, listen, we've met, we've met 60 million people from Sweden, we met 60 million people who are Nigerian, we met 60 million, we don't, we know all the facts about these people, but we want to know about what it's like for you growing up as someone who's this mixed kid of all sorts of, you know, where you, you're not really Irish, you're not really Iranian, you're not British, you're not English, you're not, what are you, you know, tell us what you think, what's your jokes about it? Exactly, because you see, 
it wasn't i mean you and i we have i mean like i'm not half irish although i do love that film the commitments where it's like the irish are the black people of europe you know that uh, i i don't think julia's seen the commitments but i know you have i'm pretty sure you've seen the commitments. yeah 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 oh god cynical i think you have to everyone every, i don't think there's anyone in britain or ireland who hasn't seen it have you not I, seen it julia the commitment it's a movie it's i've lived under a rock yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We, we we won't judge you for being in something of an American version of Al Qaeda, but I know um, uh, <laughs> she was raised by Amish. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, but I was gonna say, like it was like because I'm half Egyptian, half Iraqi. I know that you've got Iranian slash Iraqi roots and Irish, so it wasn't easy being of Arab heritage in the '70s and the '80s and the '90s. Good music, good films. But it wasn't easy being from that heritage. And when you were advised to change the title of your friend show from Cowboys and Iranians to Feel the Love, um, did you feel that maybe you were being prevented from speaking out about the reality back then? Like, you know, at that time of 2007, I think it was when you were doing Feel the Love instead of Cowboys yeah. and Iranians? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly that's exactly what I was saying about where I didn't, uh, you know, I was so easily influenced by that. Whereas now it would be so much easier for me to actually say, no, I'm standing behind this decision. I mean, look, you said it's difficult being Middle Eastern or Arab, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, it's still difficult uh, being Middle Eastern in 2021, you know? Yeah, I, no, no, it is. I Well, yeah, I was like going to do some shows in, in America, in um, New York, I think it was 2018. And I, you know, I applied for a visa to go and they turned the visa down. And and I didn't realize, I thought, oh my God, what is, I thought, and and it was quite serious. I thought, oh my God, and, and I've never broken the law. And I looked at like, you know, normally the, you can't go to America if you've got, if you've broken the law, like felony, you've had, you know, guns, drugs, anything to do with that. And I've never done anything like that. And then when, uh, when they told me I had to ring and, had to go through a process of weeks and weeks trying to get through and then they told me the the reason you can't come is because you were born in iran and i thought oh my god that is the only reason i can't come to america the only that's the only crime that i've broken and i said to them, look technically that's not my fault i mean it was my mum's my mum and dad's fault you know so if i give you their name and address you can arrest them and just let me go to iran because i didn't you know, I didn't break the law. Wait, did you just was that was that a Freudian slip where you said you'd arrest my mum and dad and let me go to Iran? Are you trying to say that America has become much like Ayatollah Khomeini's regime? <laughs> I mean, who's, who's going to impeach me? No, that's like my, my Iranian Trump. Who, I mean, I highly who, who, recommend who, 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 every everyone vacate as soon uh, as possible. That's yeah. my recommendation. Is that one, one second? I'm just going to have to hold one second. Take your time. Sorry, 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 sorry. Doorbell just went. I'm Sorry trying to. No, it's okay. It's, I think your your other half and the dog have returned. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that, Jesus? Uh, well, you know there are many things that uh that you know my 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 hearing has still able to hear, <laughs> and one of which being um <laughs> the dog. But you know it's funny because like you know like I me personally because I know that you were a comedian that essentially tries to do a lot of family shows and I'm sure that maybe you couldn't have gotten away with the you know there there being a potential controversy I mean obviously 
you know, you have to, is the word pronounced pander, meander, piander, pander? pander yeah, and pander. You, yeah. Pander. You have to pander to the masses or you have to pander mm. to a certain sensitivity. But whereas me, I kind of always wanted to go for that, like, you know, Prince of Darkness, which is weird coming yeah. from a Muslim. <laughs> I am the Muslim Prince of Darkness. You mean, yeah. <laughs> you mean Trump? Yeah, but that's what they want. That's that's the thing is, for someone, for you, who's, you know, from an a, a Islamic background, that's more interesting for the rest of us, for everyone else, because we're like, you know, I'm, we're non-religious, you know, my background. So it's quite, I can come on and joke about any religion, so what? It's like- Well, you have like, dog in house. That is first example of you not being yeah. Muslim. Yeah, whereas when you're Muslim, people think, Jesus Christ, they'll laugh, but they'll be like, oh my God, this guy could get hung up by his ankles. You know what I mean? I, so I, I, I just want to point out to any of my Muslim listeners, I'm not saying that if you're a Muslim, you cannot have a dog in the house. Because <laughs> we had dogs in the garden, but like, if you're going to have ha dogs in the house, the Islamic Sharia technique is have the room where you're going to pray free of dogs, but the rest yeah. of the house is the dog's bathroom and where they can clean themselves on a regular basis and then let that tongue that's been cleaning their scrotum touch your face because that's what dog owners do. It's so funny. We grew up um, the same where, because of my fact, there's all like uh, uh, Muslim, uh, Catholic, all sorts in the, in the family and relatives. And right. we grew up with principles where we don't drink alcohol and we wouldn't have a, a pet in the house you wouldn't wear shoes in the house so you grew up with these very middle eastern things and uh, um but it's quite funny because we do have a little dog now but he's he's, but he's cute like toy. He is yeah cute. he's literally about this big his feet are like this big so it's like what kind of dog do you have uh, little maltese poodle multi-poo so he's so he's did you just he's, say multi-poo yeah that's what they call it a multi-poo <laughs> I've just got an image of like a Swiss army knife, a Swiss army knife shaped dog that gives out different types of poop. <laughs> Screwdriver poop, nail file poop. Yeah. Could you say that again, Jules? You went a little robotic. Oh, I think. Uh, there we go. What did you say? Sorry, Jules, we missed you. What did you say? What did you say, Jules? Just until a couple years ago, we had a teeny tiny one. And I'm uh, very glad now that I have cats and not dogs. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the cats are a lot easier to look after, aren't they? They literally, I mean, the, your neighbors can feed your cats. Whereas with, yeah. with the dog, I mean, Jesus Christ, I mean, you, I mean, he'd love it. He'd love I it. I like if, the idea of having a dog. I don't like the practical application of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. because like you know kittens you just drop them in a litter box and they know what to do innately you know yeah, they, they know they're born with that hole whereas a dog will just sort of like yeah this looks like a good place to crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly I'll just leave why are my owners getting so upset why am I why are they getting the newspaper what did I do wrong I thought everyone shits on a pillow <laughs> That's it. That's why you need to get a little dog. Get a little dog. Be lovely. Little um, Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. So what um, you were saying about the about 
changing the title of the show. So basically, mm. and it was good what you said, because we did change it with Cowboys Arenas to feel the love. And this was again from all the press, um, the PR people, whatever, my agent stuff at the time in 2007, we're all saying. 2007, because uh, 2006 was do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And 2000, but, and they said. But then 2005, your show was called Patrick Monaghan's The Roadmap to Peace in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually, you, you went like, you know, I have an idea for the Middle East peace process. Yeah. You know, like you went from that to feel the love. (laughs) I got this image of Mickey Mouse coming and just going, Oh, we're going to market you as nice and speaking. Patrick. Exactly. Well, the thing is, and I don't know why I let them do that where, you know, and it was good in some ways, but I think, I, I, the thing was, I think with like the roadmap to peace and stuff like that, the thing was I, I, I was didn't really scratch the surface with it. I was like giving some nice things, but then I did get deep with certain bits and pieces. And I think with my agent and, and people at the time, I said, look, you know, it's don't scare people. There's a lot of this now. I mean, literally, oh God, we had 2007 was the uh, like our equivalent of the um, 9-11, you know, like in America, you had the 9-11, we had in 7-7, you know, in 2007. No, no, that happened, dude, that happened, though, in, like, 2000 and... uh, That happened in 2005, though. Was it in July 2005? Well, yeah, because I was at Mount Clare Accommodation at the time at university. Uh, wait, no, I might, it might have been 2006. We could do a quick Google search check. But anyway, basically, when that happened, I remember my agent and she said, look, avoid anything to do with the Middle East. I know you're there, but just avoid that now and just focus on, keep it positive, keep it upbeat, um, keep it light, keep it, you know, family friendly. And, and you know what, look, I, I I think the advice about keeping things upbeat is great and positive, but I don't think the fact that, you know, you shouldn't restrict people from talking about, you know, what's happening in real life. I mean, that's just the silliest thing you can do, particularly as, um, as a comedian. Now, I know that, you know, people want to come to shows because they want to laugh, they don't want to be lectured, but at the same time, they still want to, they still want to leave the show with something going, oh, that was funny, you talked about that, that was funny, she mentioned that, she mentioned that, or he did that, he did that. But, but you know what was quite interesting? I didn't realise they did that. I didn't realise, oh, that was happening. And I took that away. And, and you know what? And, and, and everyone will remember that point in the show where it just suddenly, everyone stopped and they felt the tension. He mentioned, I mean, he mentioned about that terrorist attack where thousands of people died. And, you could see, you know, and that's something that people remember. And as long as you, you know, as long as you're not, you know, punching down at any point, it's always about punching up. You're about you're attacking the system about the way that things work. And I think that is where you should go. And I think the problem is something like cowboys and Iranians. There looks like there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of tensions in that. Whereas feel the love, you know, fair enough. They're always like, well, you know, that's going to be nice. Nobody gets hurt. Everyone's going to be happy. Yeah, nobody ever gets hurt in love, do they? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Nobody ever suddenly decides to go back to drinking from love. Nobody (laughs) ever decides to go back from go back to drinking, get a bottle of pills, drunk dial their ex, and then kill themselves. Nobody ever ever does like (laughs) Romeo and Juliet. That's a very happy love story. See, look at that. You've already you've just created a new show there, a new sixty-minute dark show. Safe. Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. That was a very happy love story. 
Yeah. Bonnie hey, and Clyde. Yeah. Beautiful what love you, story. Did you Google it? Was it what year was it? It was indeed 2005. And the reason why I remember that was because I was uh, getting stoned with a friend. Um, this is my way of proving I was nowhere near Edgware Road Station or any of the other train stations <laughs> that were attacked. You know, just yeah. like on 9-11, I was watching Samurai Jack. You know, you can ask my mom, even though she's dead, you can ask my mom. You know, I just go get a Ouija board and just say, you know, was safe watching Samurai Jack on 9-11? And then it'll just then, go to no. And then if the big samurai just jumps in the room with a big sword that we know, right. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but um, no, it was 2005 because like, uh, like what was funny was that on July the 6th, London and England was celebrating that they were going to be hosting the Olympics. And then everyone woke up to hangovers and terrorist attacks. But then like two years later, I think what happened was like, yeah, there was always going to be, because like from 2005 to 2007, you had the Madrid attacks, but they turned out to not be anything related to the Islamic State. Turned out to be related to the Basque country, uh, yeah, this, yeah. Spanish political situation. Yeah. And, but there's always going to, but the thing is, that, you know, like, you know, maybe I being the only Muslim in this three-way uh, podcast, like, I can always turn around, like, every time I've had my fair share of, like, you know, getting into battles online with somebody making a very flippant off-the-cuff all Muslims are crazy or all Muslims are a-holes or all Muslims are this or all Muslims are that, blah, 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 blah. And I'll always, my first, you know, go to, like, usually I try to be like Mr. Miyagi and just ignore Danielson, ignore assholes online, you know, because if you remember Karate Kid 7, when Mr. Yeah. Miyagi was like, Danielson, ignore assholes on Facebook. Always something to prove on Facebook, assholes, Danielson. I'm sorry, Mr. Miyagi, I'll try. But like um, basically 0.006% of Muslims are those people associated. So if you did the mathematics of 1.4 billion and yeah. what is 0.0006, it's like literally like yeah. 10,000, 12,000. Yeah. And I, if anything, I'm a target for those hate, hateful yeah. monkey punchers. You know, I would be first on their... Jihad! And they would like detonate themselves next to me, not because like, you know, they were like, are you ready, brother? It'd be more like, prepare to meet your maker, infidel. You know, like it would be that kind of like shitty situation. Yeah. So but I totally get where you're coming from because like I used to do these Andy Kaufman style uh, social experiments because like at my university, which is, I met you in 2002, like you knew were very kind to always give me a leg up at your gigs. And I would also invite you to do gigs at my university gigs. And at my university, there was a student that wore the Tibetan orange robes. So I thought, well, why don't I wear the, the Jalabiya, which is that, what looks like a nighty, you know, as well as the Arabian headdress and the black ring on top with sunglasses, obviously, because an Arab in the West is gonna wear sunglasses. Yeah, and um, and the funny looks, and this was literally like the year after 9-11, around the time I started doing stand-up, and I used to get dirty stares and like you know horror, you know hateful looks, and even my mom with the headscarf, she would be on the receiving end of uh, either verbal or 
sometimes like you know like never no one ever like tried to yank her headscarf off but like uh, she used to tell me about things that happened to her on the bus when she was on the way to Asda's and it's 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 sad but but the funny thing is I made that you remember you've heard me play it the terrorist love song in G major yeah yeah of course yeah and you've been at venues when I performed it and the only ones that would, I mean, like the Scottish audiences would love it. The Everyone would love it except the American audiences. <laughs> they were the only ones that would like get offended at that because it had, nine, you know, 9-11 yeah. in one of the lyrics. And it also had 7th of July in one of the lyrics. But it was a very tongue-in-cheek, it wasn't glorifying terrorism. It was actually yeah. making fun of terrorism. If you get the only way to get rid of it. Yeah, you've got to joke about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think if, if you know, if if we wanted to go down the dark funny hole, I mean, I've noticed you recently online, Pat, like, this isn't one of our questions, but I have noticed online with your Instagrams, you are starting to go into that from PG to, like, 15 slash bordering 18, what the Americans would call rated R to NC-17, which in case you don't know patrick rated r means it could be like terminator 2 yeah. you know like which in the uk you're not allowed to see above a certain age but in america it's like you can see it with your parents you can you know like our parents your parents would be like it's okay we don't mind letting him see like you know gunshots and explosions we just don't like him seeing nudity yeah. <laughs> and he's already spent his whole afternoon in the bedroom watching nudity online it's like yeah 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 that's why yeah Pornhub and stuff <laughs> but um uh you know patrick uh we usually have this section in our podcast called um shameless self-promotion or shameless plug and in honor of your irish roots which i don't know if i got it right this is google translate so go ahead and tell our listeners what you got going on right now and what would you like our listeners to focus on? Well, I have, as you mentioned, there, all that Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So I've literally been doing loads of um, little videos and stuff while I've been in lockdown. But what I also do, because I just love doing stand-up, is every Wednesday night I do a Zoom stand-up comedy show and every Saturday night I do a live Facebook live show. Mm. And it's literally both of them anyone can watch them from anywhere in the world and uh all you need is obviously for facebook you can just tune in on a saturday night at seven o'clock and you can just watch that free and then on a wednesday i do the zoom stand-up show and people could just they can buy tickets for that and they can come in and it's great it's just like they can sit there and they can do whatever they want they can either leave the cameras off if they want to hide at the back of the gig and just sit in their sofa watching it in quiet or a lot of people like to leave the cameras on. And then it's quite fun. I do I do my stuff, a little bit of banter, but mostly material. And each week I do stand-up stuff. So it's great. So it's actually, it's been part of the productive side of lockdown, learning how to, you know, get your content out there and still writing as well on top of it and performing. So yeah, loads, loads going on if people, but I know what it's like. People have got about 700 and... 3,000 box sets to finish watching on Netflix and Disney. So it's it's always nice to get something that's still live and fresh. 
while you're still stranded at home, wherever you are. So yeah, come and check that out. What are the, but like, and everyone can, I mean, we're going to have all your stuff in the description of the episode uh, on Anchor FM. Anchor FM, I'm not obliged to say this, even though I just found out recently that they have been purchased by Spotify. So Anchor FM and Spotify for the moment, inshallah, God willing, in the name of the Father and all that jazz, are letting me have an uncapped data storage capacity. Um, but uh, yeah. I'm sure I'm going to some form of hell for that for that weird <laughs> moment. I, I might get like you know the same yeah, amount of grief. Ma- I yeah, might yeah. get the I might get the same amount of grief Madonna got when she made the like a prayer video and had a black <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah. Jesus, not white. That's a crazy idea. <laughs> Everybody knows that you know. I mean, it's like Daniel Slaw says. <laughs> <laughs> we we've lost Jules momentarily from connection, but yeah, Daniel Sloss. I don't know if you've watched Daniel Sloss's uh, Netflix special. Oh, he's um, lovely. I haven't seen it, but I'm going to watch it. But he's lovely. Yeah, go on. What's it? Uh, he, I think it's in Dark. Is it in Dark or Jigsaw when he talks about Jesus? I think he talks about it, and he goes, he goes. He goes, if he had been white, that had been the fucking miracle. <laughs> that, like, why are we not talking about this? <laughs> you know, that's like, I mean, that would have been the biggest miracle in, in, in an area. The, desert, the sun is always in the sky, and somehow he has the complexion of a fucking snowman. <laughs> why are we talking about this? <laughs> that is brilliant. I'm not saying Daniel's such, he's such a great comic lovely guy i've not i've not seen it though after so much to catch up on there is there is i mean like obviously because you and i are creators of comedy we don't i don't know if you also deny yourself watching other specials do you watch uh, i mean before we let you go do you watch other comedian specials on a regular basis or occasionally um yeah i'd i'd watch it every night if i could but the only problem you can't because most nights you'd be performing or doing stuff. Um, but no, yeah, I wouldn't, I'd never not watch something. I'd, you know, if I had a choice to, oh God, I would watch it. But the only problem is, yeah, I mean, you'd be lucky if you could watch one out of a hundred because you just, it's just time. That's the only constraint that you've got really. You know, mm. I mean, I remember when I was touring and doing gigs, you know, and like Edinburgh, you don't get a night off. And if you do get a night off, you know, you might go and what you, there's there's three thousand shows to watch, and it's the same as like if you get a night off here, there's a million, you know, nine hundred thousand comedy shows I could watch, but you can only physically watch one. So it's yeah, you know, you you never, you know, it's always like, do you get a choice? You spend you spend most of the night going, which one could I watch? And then the night's over, so you don't really, you know, you don't really actually get to watch as much as you'd like to. But no, I love it. I love yeah. Yeah, no, I remember what you I enjoyed. I think that's why I enjoyed having so much time off. I had I had about four or five months like before the pandemic where I had time off where like I could just I could still do shit, but I had time off. And I spent all of that time, even when I got a job because my job allowed it, it was it was like it was like I could mainline 
stand-up comedy content, right? Just anything. Like I could sit through nine hours of a work day with a headphone in, right? Just working through my day. And that was, that was, it was the only thing that kept me sane at the time. And, and how, how people deny or, or don't have the time to see it blows my mind. Cause I can't like, I can't imagine going a day without watching at least one special. Yes, exactly. And it's like, and it's, it's, it's so easy now to do. There's no excuses now where, you know, you can get it online. You can watch it on YouTube for free. Right. If you've got Netflix. And if anything, it's beautiful when you watch a show because it is uplifting. It's not like you're going to watch a track, you know, like a dark, tragic film or something, you know, where it's like, which are great as well. But, you know, if you watch them, every day you know what i mean eventually you'd be like oh my god everything's so bad Whereas with comedy, <laughs> this is a bit you know, much yeah, yeah exactly only- i did that with cult documentaries last month it was yeah. i i got i got like three weeks into a cult documentary binge yeah. and i was like you should stop yeah because now you're gonna start questioning everything <laughs> you sound crazy <laughs> I, I i did watch around 11 different series about serial killers uh and that might have been why i was in a bit of a depressive funk the other day and I, I admit... thought and I thought 15 and I thought 15 seasons of criminal minds was a lot oh my god this is no, ridiculous. But, um... yeah when I binge I do a proper binge yeah. like when the last season of supernatural came out I watched all of the seasons in a row and I've been watching it for the entire decade and a half that it's been out <laughs> Oh but I, Patrick, I did think just now, uh, like, you know, the analogy of us being created, like yourself and myself being comedians and creators of comedy. Would you not agree that the analogy, like, I know we just popped into a bonus question uh, rather than finishing the closing up speech, but <laughs> usual BS. That's the great thing about us type of, you know, creators. We can break the fourth wall all the time. But um would you not say that as we are creators of comedy and uh, like the analogy of us watching comedy specials on Netflix, would it not be comparable to like, let's say a novel or a book writer deciding to read other people's books rather than writing their own book? You see what I mean? Like, would you yeah, not? But I think Stephen King, I remember reading something he wrote about, he said the best advice, you know, when he's always, people always ask him, how do you become a great writer? And he says, you just got to read. You've got to read other things. You've got to, you know, it's not that you're going to suddenly start, you're not suddenly going to start, you know, if you read loads of Charles Dickens, doesn't mean you're going to start writing like Charles Dickens. It just means that you're reading, your mind's just getting out there, you know, you're seeing how things are, stuff like that. And it's the same with us. If we watch comics, you know, different comics, Mm. it doesn't mean you're suddenly going to become that style of comedy, you've already got your style, you've got your voice. So if anything, it's just nice to watch, you know, and appreciate someone. It's like a, if you're in a band, you know, it's, it, you're not just going to listen to your album all the time. You, you want to listen to other singers, you appreciate other people. You don't want only your voice in your yeah. head. Exactly. Yeah. But at the Great. same time, you just have to, you know, cross your fingers and say, inshallah. Because you remember that summer, I think it was 2006 or seven, when there was a, a men's magazine article came out with the 50 best gags of the fringe. And somehow the journalist had uh, jumbled up in their head and portrayed Jimmy Carr as, you know, having that joke of I'm half Irish, half Iranian, which is our guest, Patrick Monaghan. And this was actually his gag. 
I'm half Irish, half Iranian, and I spent most of my holidays in customs. And we all know that Jimmy Carr is not Irish, not Iranian, but the running gag that fringe was, oh, Patrick, apparently you're now Jimmy Carr, or like, because <laughs> everyone knew that yeah. it was Patrick's joke. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing. And, and again, that's, if anything, if you can take anything from that, it's about, you know, when you write stuff, make sure you write stuff that's so unique to you, it's from your own voice. Because, mm. you know, that's, because then people, people can close their eyes and listen to the words or a comic and they go, yeah, I know, who, I know who that person is. I know who that is, you know, that sort of thing. And I think that's, that's what comedy should be really. It should be, it but should be that everyone, yeah. yeah, people can relate to it, but they know that it's come from you, you know. That's true. Patrick, yeah. Patrick Monaghan, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is our guest for this episode. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, Say. Thank you, Jules. Alhamdulillah. So lovely. Thank you much. Lovely. Thank you very much. My only force permits me to say chalo kebab. I won't say kunni or kaskesh because those are naughty <laughs> words in Persian. Naughty, naughty. Now, now Persian. Say again. Which means, means thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Goodbye. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. So to our <laughs> listeners, yeah. I did find out recently, Patrick, our podcast is now available on uh, Stitcher. I don't know what Stitcher is, but we're on Spotify. We're on Apple and we're now on Stitcher. This is all thanks to Anchor being bought out by Spotify. So as long as we're on Safe of a Candles, the show with no name, with Patrick Monaghan. Peace be upon you, namaste, and all that jazz. Thank you very much, Masalamak. Thank you very much. Thank you, Safe. Thank you, Jules. Thank you. Thank you.